we should foster um, or, or invest our energies in the experiences of students as a whole, right? Not only in assessments and curriculum that is uh, that has very particular objectives, but we must foster relationships across campus and involve all stakeholders um, to support our students in a better way. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Claudia Holguin-Mendoza discusses opportunities to reimagine language teaching with critical literacy and student support at the forefront. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are excited to speak with Dr. Claudia Holguin-Mendoza today. Claudia gave a keynote as part of this year's Consortium for Language Teaching and Learning Workshop on Language Pedagogy. Her talk discussed anti-racist critical literacy and methodologies of the oppressed for language education, and we will extend our conversation about these practices on our podcast. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Claudia. Thank you, uh, Angelica and Sam. I'm thrilled to be here. We're thrilled to have you, Um, and we would like to start our conversation, as we always do on our podcast, with your background and path with languages and language learning. What does that look like for you? Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm a trained sociolinguist. I did all my training, undergraduate, um, master's, and PhD in sociolinguistics. But my research also centers in topics in linguistic anthropology and critical language education. Um, More specifically, um, my sociolinguistic work um, deals with intersections of identity constructions and language in the U.S.-Mexico border. And on critical language education, I focus on creating and developing critical literacy for Spanish heritage language speakers in the U.S. Mm Nice. So in your talk, you discussed anti-racist critical literacy. Can you please define that for our listeners? What does this look like in the classroom and what can or should educators do to ensure that students are successful in this area? Thank you. Um, I think that uh, anti-racist critical literacy involves... um, critical self-reflexivity, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs, it requires that educators and students uh, engage in a path and a journey of first uh, knowing ourselves, knowing uh, our biases, our ideologies, and understanding that we live in a, in a world that uh, has naturalized whiteness as a system. And in this system, some people um, benefit more than others. And this is a tough journey. It's not easy, but it's it's something that we need to do. And uh, this, in the classroom, um, I would say that it looks um, like uh, having a lot of activities, a lot of um, moments to reflect on Mm -hmm. this system of naturalized whiteness and um, engaging in discussions that sometimes are difficult. Uh, 
but that at the end um, is very rewarding. And um, it is rooted also in promoting uh, students' own experiences mm, and, mm-hmm, and uh, promoting their agency. In, uh, so at the end, it, in language education, we should foster an environment where students decide how to speak at the end of the day and, and not being patronizing anymore, telling them mm-hmm. what to do, how to behave, how to speak but uh, providing them with the knowledge so they can decide in how to speak and with which styles in different social contexts. Great. In your talk, you outlined four instruction and assessment elements for critical sociocultural linguistics literacy and how those can be mapped onto the actful can-do statements. Um, can you please recap these elements for us and how they translate into the can-dos? Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, uh, I've been advocating for language educators to change the way we assess language, right? Mm -hmm. I think that it is functional to speak about sociolinguistic justice and then just evaluate Mm -hmm. their grammatical performance. Yeah, Yeah. amen. All the way, right? So I think that is is not okay. We shouldn't do that. So we should promote more um, self-assessment and uh, allow students to do that. And um, a collaborator, um, Robert Davies, uh, director of the language program at the University of Oregon, once um, uh, told us, oh, why why don't we use the can-do statements? It's self-evaluation. And, but we adapted it for uh, critical literacy. And I think it works really well. And uh, what I'm now um, proposing is to at least include four elements. And we could have 20 or 10 or, you know, and we can adapt these to other uh, critical literacy, uh, critically sustaining pedagogies or other critical pedagogies. But... I think that at least we should include these four elements that are, uh, of course, uh, developing critical literacy in historicity, like taking into account the historical mm-hmm. sociocultural context where we are. In that way, um, including critical language awareness as such uh, would have to be deeper. The reflection would have to be deeper because we cannot understand how ideologies are embedded in language if we don't understand the socio-historical political context. And a critique to critical language awareness and critical um, frameworks is that what is a critical in critical thinking? Hmm. Uh, Because we can get confused in our own embedded ideologies and uh, this could be very problematic because we think, right, that we are doing critical thinking and at the end, we're just promoting another agenda. Uh, this has been also a critique by uh, scholars such as um, Kubota, right? That uh, uh, she has stated that, well, in academia, sometimes we're promoting um, our own critical, uh, our own liberal agenda, multicultural agenda, mm-hmm. and not really critical thinking. So that's that's why we need to uh, root it in historicity but also study and prepare and educate ourselves in racial relations Hmm. and how we are still in this racist 
society and how racism uh, evolves is not the same as before, right? And it adapts. Mm. And we need to understand how we relate to each other uh, in this system and understand our own positionalities. Mm. And also the fourth element is that we should not think about human communication anymore as a static uh, system that we can study in a standardized way, right? Uh, But more as... um, a tool for human communication mm-hmm. and the establishment of power relations. If we understand that um, we use language in in these conscious and subconscious ways to exercise our agency and power in different styles and, and varieties, then I think that we are in a more... Um, I would say realistic understanding of how language and human communication works. And it is more useful at the end of the day, right, to understand how we use language in our daily basis. Claudia, in your talk, you also discussed the concept of language curricularization. So the process of treating language education as if it were another academic subject. What impact has this had on language teaching in the U.S. educational system in general and also for Spanish and students of Latin heritage in particular? Yeah, thank you. That is a very important question for language education, um, I think. Uh, um, Scholars such as Guadalupe Valdez, uh, one of the main founders of Mm -hmm. the Spanish heritage language uh, field, as well as other um, colleagues, scholars such as Robert Train, uh, for instance, have... Uh, observe that, yeah, we we have failed in uh, Mm. language education, particularly for Latinx students, um, because we have treated language as an static variety Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. that is, uh, that we can measure and, you know, control and use as such, but we have forgotten that (laughs) it is a tool for human communication, as I was mentioning, so... In this way, yeah, we have failed students because we have not recognized their own experiences uh, of uh, language and sociocultural historical marginalization. In a previous episode this season, we spoke with students in Cornell's Spanish for Heritage Speakers courses. They mentioned how the course helped increase their confidence in speaking Spanish and helped diminish the shame they felt for not being fluent. What have you heard from students in your Latino heritage program? Yeah, thank you. So we are advocating more and more for having um, courses dedicated particularly for Uh, heritage speakers, and not only in Spanish, right, but in across the languages. But for Latinx students, I I think that this is the case, particularly if they are in a predominantly white institution, Mm -hmm. because they need uh, these relationships with a cohort that understand uh, their own experiences. Not only from educators, they need the support, right, but from peers that are going through similar experiences. So I think that this is crucial. And at the University of Oregon, where I was the founder, founder director for, from 2011 to 2018, uh, in all that, that time, I heard that uh, 
the heritage program was really supporting their identity mm. formations, their experiences. And if I may, I, I have a quote, uh, a quotation from a student uh, mm. who was in a, in a course in the University of Oregon in 2017. And she says, it helped me uh, to come to a more secure place with my Chicana identity. The course makes me feel seen and understood in a way I did not know a college course could, should ever do. And mm. I close the quotation. So I think that if a student says that, that's the best evaluation of a program, mm -hmm. such mm -hmm. as that, that one. And currently, uh, Dr. Sergio Loza is directing that program, and he's doing a fantastic job. Wonderful. And at the University of California, Riverside, Riverside, where I am now, it's different because it's a Hispanic service institution and we are almost uh, serving uh, half of the students um, who are Latinx in, in that huh. uh, university. So it is um, interesting that even though we are a Hispanic service institution and we have almost half of, of the students being Latinx, we don't have a stronger presence of Spanish mm. in, in general terms yeah. or other indigenous languages uh, from Latinx communities. Mm -hmm. So I think that we still have a lot of work to do, but I think that we should uh, take Spanish out of the Spanish <laughs> uh, or Hispanic studies uh, department and mm. make it part of other uh, curricula. Mm -hmm. in that way mm -hmm. support students and I think that not only having programs or um, having as Gina Garcia mentions um, an expert on Hispanic service institutions she mentions that uh, we should also pay attention to non-academic outcomes not only mm -hmm. to academic mm -hmm. outcomes mm -hmm. so in this way um, we should foster um, or, or invest our energies in the experiences of students as a whole, mm. right? Not only um, in assessments and um, curriculum that is uh, that has very particular objectives, but um, we must foster uh, relationships across campus and yeah. involve all stakeholders um, to support our students in a better way. So I think, Claudia, you just mentioned the importance of taking language out of the silo of language education, right? And one area where we have seen a lot of success here at Cornell and also across the nation is precisely in language across the curriculum. I think giving the students more opportunities to apply the, the language proficiency that they bring with them in their specific disciplinary fields um, in some of the Spanish sections in our language across the curriculum courses here, um, we do get many heritage speakers of Spanish, and they always really appreciate the opportunity to go beyond the, you know, more more day-to-day -day language that they might use at home with family and friends, and really seeing how the language that they bring every day can be important within their academic discipline. So I... I definitely agree with you that this is a an important step that we need to think about as as language educators 
Um, you mentioned open educational resources in your talk as well. And one thing that stood out to me was your comment that, quote, social justice isn't charging students $200 for a textbook, end quote. Can you please expand on that notion? Yeah, thank you for your question. I think that this has been um, one of the main um, subjects that I, I've been working on for the last decade to create open educational resources for students because, yeah, that is another um, point of uh, that is in crisis, right, in education, mm -hmm. that students can't afford all the materials, that textbooks are so expensive. So how can we be teaching or including topics of social justice in our courses while they, we are asking students to, to buy these expensive materials? Um, also, these materials, um, as we know, many of them are very stereotypical still. They are not very mm -hmm. inclusive. They include yeah. many depictions and representations of um, regions in the world that are very stereotypical, that do not um, foster other ways of uh, living or perceiving reality, right? So um, this is changing, but it's very slowly. And if we are already creating our own materials, our own cre recreating the curriculum as we go, why don't invest in doing it a little more systematic so mm -hmm. we can share with our students and with other educators. If we talk about, again, sociolinguistic justice, social justice, a lot of teachers in K-12 are struggling. They really want to do the right thing. They really want to educate themselves and uh, go to workshops and create more materials, but many of them are so busy, they don't have the time. So if we share with them some of these and, and work with students or with other K-12 educators to adapt them, because what I've learned in, in the way is that, of course, we need to create materials with more scaffolding for K-12 mm -hmm. um, courses. So um, why not doing it, right? And this is part of my work, too, and what I'm doing currently working with uh, graduate students in uh, the College of Ed in trying to adapt what we have created for higher education uh, for K-12. And, of course, I'm learning a lot. I, I never uh, cease to, to uh, learn, or I, I'm always amazed of how many things I still don't know about creating these materials and yeah. just creating a lesson that I can call that is based on critical pedagogies, right? That's so many elements that have to be there. And um, it is a, a journey in itself. And that's why I think that not everybody should, you know, go through all this work. Uh, and that's why we have open education. And we should uh, take advantage of the many resources that many states or many organizations uh, fostering open education are giving right now. I've seen um, grants and um, scholarships, uh, being uh, given to, mm -hmm. to people who want to adapt materials. So I encourage uh, educators to, to look for them and, and do that as well. Claudia, you ended your keynote with a call to reframe language education. 
and I'm quoting you now, so it fully serves students, particularly those who have been minoritized, end quote. Where can language educators start this in their practice tomorrow? Yeah, I think that that is um, the the easiest and at the same time the most difficult part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, yeah, it's hard to start. But once you start, then the journey opens for you. And and I think that the first step is just to uh, recognize that our experiences are just one way of seeing uh, that permeate a a Mm -hmm. way of seeing reality. And that we need to educate ourselves about the experiences of others, the pain of others. And, um, but in order to do that, we also need to understand our own pain and mm-hmm. our own journey and our positionalities. And if we don't do that work, uh, we end up sometimes being, uh, quote unquote, the savior, right? And mm. Some people say this, the white savior, but I I would say any type of quote-unquote savior that is not really helping because uh, we want to help, but we don't know, and sometimes we end up hurting more uh, others than really supporting them. So in order not to repeat um, what others have tried in the past to do Mm -hmm. and have failed, uh, we should listen to, to others first and understand um, where they are, uh, the situation that ha- has created where they are and our own positionalities and the ways uh, we can support their own journey. Because at the end of the day, um, people can support their own journey. Uh, they just need our allyship and not for us. They don't need for us to go and save them, right? So our students don't need our help. They need our support. Mm. But uh, we're not going to find how to support or better uh, support them or be the best ally if we don't understand uh, where they are coming from and Mm -hmm. where we are. So it's a a complicated journey. but, Mm. um, But once we start, yeah, it opens for us. And then we know know Mm -hmm. how to navigate it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think there are so many people that have been doing that before us, and mm-hmm. we just need to learn and from them, and don't don't never think that oh we're the only ones or mm-hmm. <laughs> or that we are oh this is so difficult oh no it's so there are so many people that can support our own journey yeah. right as educators yeah, yeah yeah for sure well and we thank you for all the important work that you are doing and all the suggestions and ideas you are giving the the community here to make sure that we become more inclusive and more mindful. So, Claudia, where can our listeners find out more about your work? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It has been uh, great speaking with you today. And you can find more about my work in um, my webpage of the Lat Greek Sociocultural Linguistic Lab that I can share with you and you can show the link mm-hmm. to uh, our listeners. Wonderful. And in there, there is a, a project um, entitled Crystal. And in that project, we are sharing all the materials. And these ma- some of these materials um, have been sponsored by actually uh, grants. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and have been published by the Coral Institute, the Center for Open Educational Resources in Language Learning at the University of Texas at Austin, which is a, a great uh, place to look for scholarships, grants, and resources. You don't have to be in Texas, of course. And the workshops are very affordable, and you can take them during the summer or online. And my materials are uh, linked in that lab page, but I will also share with you the, the main page uh, as well. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language that you speak, love, are learning, want to learn, that makes you laugh. Please share that word with us. Well, um, I think that I don't know many languages very well, but I can share with you um, a style. And in Spanish, as in any other language, uh, we have these games, right? Like uh, in English, we have big Latin or other uh, word games and um, language games. And in Spanish, we have these um, speaking with F or speaking with other consonants that you add to sentences. So uh, one way of speaking that I learned when I was uh, growing up that always made me laugh is speaking with G and D. <laughs> so mm. you, you sound something like, <laughs> so it's just so, so like a language from Star Wars or something, right? So it just makes me laugh. And I love, I love to learn ways in which people do that in other languages as well. Nice. So I just said, hola, como estas? In, in GD and GD. Oh, that is funny. I like that. Yeah. That does make you giggle. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Claudia. Thank you. Next week, we have our annual Thanksgiving special in store for you. Be sure to tune in and reflect on all the things to be grateful for. Until then. Auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners. And do stay tuned for our next episode.